Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following recording is from a Zoom session of Dharma Dialogues held on February 6, 2022. It's called This Old Thing. My friend in Chicago sends me great, great quotes, and this is one of them. It's from Joan Didion, and she sent it subsequent to Joan Didion's death, which was about six or seven weeks ago. I'm not telling you to make the world better, because I don't think that progress is necessarily part of the package. I'm just telling you to live in it, not just to endure it, not just to suffer it, not just to pass through it, but to live in it to look at it, to try to get the picture, to live recklessly, to take chances, to make your own work and take pride in it, to seize the moment. And if you ask me why you should bother to do that, I could tell you that the graves a fine and private place, but none I think do there embrace, nor do they sing there or write or argue or see the tidal bore on the Amazon or touch their children. And that's what there is to do. And get it while you can, and good luck at it. Wise words from someone who was economical with big ideas and a few words. Get it while you can. I spoke a little bit last night about the way that we sort of just endure We kind of endure the day. We get through it a lot of times. That's what we're doing. We're just kind of getting through, get through to the next day or to the merciful moments when you're going to sleep. But as I said last night, we're going to have plenty of a long time of not being here. (laughs) The rest of eternity of not being here once we're gone. So in the bit, the tiny, tiny blink in which we are here, being here, why not live in it? Why not live in your actual days and your life and your your joys and your sorrows even, the tough parts, and there are many. And yet one can also be alive through those as well, very alive. We can allow those tough bits to be our reminder, to be our dharma bell, to more appreciate it when it gets easier again or when the tough lightens up a bit. I'm often impressed with the way that people who've experienced a lot of sorrow can be incredibly joyous, like they can laugh with abandonment when they're happy because they've already been to hell and back. They've got nothing else to lose. I'm often, often intrigued by that, actually. When we see that, we often think it's courageous. We think they're courageous. But I would say another word for that is they're abandoned. (laughs) They're just, it's just a free flow. Whereby tears might come easily and laughter comes easily. And I liked the line, too, in in Didion's missive there about taking pride in one's work, like being creative, 
and feeling pride, not in an ego way, but just a feeling of accomplishment. That's nice. And it doesn't have to be something particularly celebrated by the rest of the world. It could be just something that you have accomplished. I've become quite the DIY gal, owning houses and um, serially owning houses. I only own, own one house at a time. And um, I've had to figure out a lot of things in order to not have to pay someone a fortune to do some tiny little fiddly thing. So I watch a lot of uh, YouTube DIY things and, you know, and I'm just on my own and I'll, I'll fix the thing and I'll think, wow, that was fantastic. That was so satisfying, right? To, to be able to actually do something that I would have had to pay a professional to fix, you know, like the toilet handle or any number of things. There's all kinds of, you know, my Dyson vacuum cleaner, believe it or not. <laughs> it seized up and I went, I went through this whole complicated cleaning process that this guy had taken half an hour to show on, on YouTube. And I did everything as he said, and sure enough, it worked again. <laughs> There's a certain way in which, again, the little things. We're very tormented. Many, many people are. And especially living in the world of social media, we're tormented with this idea that there's another life out there that I, I took some wrong turn and that my real life went by and now I'm on this one, this old thing. And there's a kind of um, inner frustration that a lot of people feel, which I would challenge for your own sanity, not because it's moral to challenge it, but just for your own well-being. Another way of, of honoring your own life as it is and finding all the little things that you actually love about your life. I'm in the process of packing up my house. I'm moving out of the country. And with each thing, there's things I've had, treasures I've had for many years, and lots of it art that people have given me. Mick, I, I know you're on the call. The beautiful plates that you made me, the magnificent that I get millions of compliments on, all those bowls and plates and everything, um, which I've treasured for probably 25 years or so or more. I pack up all these treasures and I'm just looking at them as though I may not see them again because they're going to be going on a long journey and the world is crazy and who knows, and you know. And I find myself just like with an awareness that I may not ever touch this beautiful thing again and how much I've enjoyed it. Ajahn Chah, a Thai master, long dead now, he picked up a cup and he said, what is the best way to relate to this cup, this beautiful handmade cup? And then he said, the best way is to relate as though it's already broken. And then you use it freely. And there's a way in which we can be using everything quite freely in this full appreciation 
with the awareness of its impermanence, which actually enhances its value. And we could even make the case that our very existence is that. It's enhanced by its own, the value of it is enhanced by its own impermanence, which we forget. I did speak last night at some length about that kind of forgetting. Because in truth, we couldn't fully remember it all the time, or else it would be oppressive. If every moment, or if many moments of our waking hours, we were so aware of, of the impermanence of everything, it would have a kind of heavy quality a deadening and almost because you'd just be a little bit paralyzed and perhaps depressed. But having it sprinkled in, in the awareness through the day, having a sprinkling of it, having just these moments of, ah, ah, really just listen to the birds right now, you know, just, just listen. Right. Or a child is standing in front of you and demanding something. And there's a, a feeling inside of, oh, not now, I don't have time. And yet you look at the child's face and in that moment, perhaps see it for the first or the last time. And it's a transformative moment to, to see with that kind of perception, sprinkle those through the day and it does wake the day up. <laughs> it wakes you up in the day. I'm having quite a few of those. So all by way of saying, well, the only word that's coming is, is gratitude. It's an open secret for happiness and it's so at hand. Hello, dear. Hey, Catherine. Hey, everyone. Noah, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. Um, what you were talking about really resonated so much uh, with what I wanted to share. Um, I'm on the other side of COVID right now, and the feeling of gratitude and um, energy that just has come in the last uh, day or two is um, making me so aware that there was a part of myself that, was, that I felt was suppressing my joy and suppress like I feel like there was some active energy that was just holding holding that down or not letting me even have access to to the joy I mean certainly it was the illness that was a part of it but but just something else um maybe the atmosphere um of fear you know I think there was so much fear um about what that meant having COVID and yeah. now that I've been through it and I've I feel strong and back to myself. I'm remembering all the all the things I love, and I'm and I'm having the energy now to do my art again and yeah. to enjoy just the joy of my apartment after being away from it for several weeks. Yeah, so I'm 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 just, but it just makes me wonder, like, what was it that was keeping, like, I felt like there was like some something that was keeping me ignorant of my joy, like something that was clouding it, like like a screen. How far back well, are we talking? Just uh, how far back was your joy being suppressed, did you feel? 
I don't know. The way I feel these last couple of days, it's like I'm I'm waking up out of some long sleep. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like nice. that's that's kind of that's the that's what it feels like because I haven't had the energy or even the desire to touch my art or even do anything creative, and suddenly I feel like it's back again after, right. and I don't know where it went and. Yeah, so I'm just feeling so much happiness and gratitude right now. Beautiful. That's nice, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, just as a possibility, I wonder if now that you have a probably very robust immunity, that's one worry off the table in terms of every time you go anywhere, having to think about, you know, am I going to catch this thing? And well, now that's right. over. So you, you're you on the other side of that for sure. And also just coming out of the illness itself and feeling great again, you know, relief is a particular kind of happiness. It's like you dodged a bullet, even though you got the thing, but you dodged a bullet in terms of it being that terrible. I told the story in my book many, many years ago, I had an ovarian cyst and and the doctors seemed concerned about it. And of course, it, it, having that kind of cyst might mean ovarian cancer. So they were doing tests and ultrasounds and PSA tests, I think they're called. And so for a while, I didn't know, right, which way this was going to go. And I was going to these oncologists in Los Angeles, and I'd be sitting in the room with all these people who were going through chemotherapy and were waiting to see the doctor, but who had no hair and looked very wan and, and ill. And so it was just this world I had entered. Anyway, after one of these tests, the doctor said, you know what? This cyst is entirely gone. You're fine. And he's, he was one of the most renowned oncologists of Los Angeles, so I completely trusted him. And I left there, I was skipping practically to my car. I felt this like, like a particular thing of relief, like you got out of jail or something, you know? <laughs> and, um, of course, right behind that realization came the feeling of, well, I've only dodged the bullet a little while, <laughs> actually. <laughs> there is a bullet with my name on it out there, but, <laughs> but, but I must say I was, I was definitely, and I kept saying to myself, remember this, remember how the world looked bright again. And I was listening to music in my car. And I remember just thinking, don't take any of this for granted. Of course one does though, <laughs> you know, but it is what I always remind us about. And it's what I remind myself about a lot as well. You yeah, know, tomorrow like is, uh, you know, tomorrow is Bob Marley's birthday and in uh, redemption song is one of my favorites. And, uh, and he says, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. And, and um, it is a choice, you know, to, to look for gratitude and to, find, and to free ourselves. And I wish this liberation for all of us. Yes, beautiful. Wow. Thank you. Hi, dear. Hi. Hi. Uh, all right, I'll I'll jump into the breach here. So um, I'm I'm so glad that you chose gratitude as a theme for tonight, and I've I've really been focused on that. I have a daily meditation, and I've I've added 
a moment of gratitude as the last moment before I leave the meditation and whatever time it takes to get to that place where I feel gratitude. Sometimes it comes quickly, sometimes it comes slowly. But there, there are, are two things uh, that, that come to mind. One is profound and one is absolutely silly. Uh, the one is, that is profound is that my brother died at the age of 45, and we were very close, and we were also business partners. And in the early days of our business, it was a struggle, and he was a very, very smart person and had great ideas, and then he passed away. And um, the business turned out to be very successful based upon his ideas and just the sense of gratitude that I was able to experience with him the frustrations and without him the successes, it, it particularly now that I'm old and to know that I've got to experience this stage of life and he didn't is a profound gratitude. And, mm -hmm. and I, I constantly remind myself of it. The other one is very silly. Mm -hmm. I am fortunate enough to own two homes and my wife and I, frequently travel back and forth from one to the other. One is in a urban setting where the museums and the theater and everything else is, and the other is in a place to truly experience nature. Well, be that as it may, my wife has really streamlined the process. So when we go from one place to the other, she just carries like a little tiny satchel and because she's replicated her life in both places and she's encouraged me to do the same. So, what, you know, I use an electric toothbrush and um, I have a very nice electric toothbrush and I've been carrying it back and forth. And, and she finally convinced me to get a second one. So I bought a second one. And I thought I was getting replica of the first one, but it turned out to be a lesser product. The battery doesn't last as long. It doesn't have three speeds. It only has one speed. It's a little noisier. It just doesn't work as well. And, and I started to say, oh, this is terrible. I have to suffer now 50% of the time because I have an inferior toothbrush until I said to myself, oh, my God, I am crazy. I am absolutely crazy. I have <laughs> two homes. I have two electric toothbrushes. And so what I've done is I've made the second toothbrush a totem. And every time I pick it up, I don't think about how it's not as good as the other toothbrush. It is a totem to remind me of all of the blessings that I have. And that's a silly story. Well, um, you certainly came to uh, the best perspective about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
Right. Yeah. And it's, it goes to also the way that we compare that this moment isn't as good as another moment. This moment with the inferior toothbrush is not as good as when I'm fabulously enjoying my other toothbrush, right? I mean, how much of a difference actually is it in the actual experience, right? <laughs> when I'm in bliss in those few minutes a day in my other superior one <laughs> you know yeah i mean it's just the way that the mind tricks us and and is constantly hungry not constantly I take that back but often hungry unnecessarily sitting at the feast and saying oh but no one brought kiwi to the feast and it's like that it's like that in so many ways in our lives and when you switch it around and i haven't seen your places but i'm going to make a wild leap, a guess, when you switch it around and you think, what if in truth, I'm not actually able to, because there's not enough time in the day, I'm not actually fully able to enjoy all the things that I have here that I love, because there's just not enough time in the day. There's so many things, there's just so many things and beings and so many delights of all sorts. I sometimes get that glimpse. I get it especially in retreat where I feel, because it feels so rich and everything's so simple, but it's so rich. And I feel any, any one of these experiences or feelings or insights or beautiful person walking past me on the path in silence, any one of those, I won't be able to fully take in because there's so much, there's so much and so ubiquitous all around me. Now, that doesn't deny that there are awful things that happen in the world and to us and losses and the loss of your dear brother. I lost my brother at the age of 38 and so on. Uh, I've had lots of loss and it's hard, it, it's painful. And it lives in a sore spot in my heart. But I'm also very aware, and as I just re referred to, particularly in this move, I'm very, very aware of the abundance in which I, I do live. And it's about simple things. It's not, it's not so flashy. It's just that it's, it feels abundant. And it's really down to like, I have a particular tea that I like that I can easily get at my very nearby store. And when I get the tea out in the morning, I'm just so happy like that. It's, it's really that level. It's an interesting trick to do, to understand that in the increase of your happiness is downstream. It's not upstream, it's downstream. In other words, the, the gratitude for more and more simple things rather than needing to keep getting better and better things, which is basically just a constant hunger. And then you get that thing and then you want another thing. And if you go downstream, like with what I have, and even if a few things get lost or ruined or whatever, well, you still got the other, you still got the people and you've still got you. I, I wrote down what you said. Gratitude is an open secret for happiness. I find that very profound. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it always works. It always works.
Um, I won't take up too much time since I had time with you this morning, but what a blessing for me to get to see you twice in one day after not seeing you for seven years. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's amazing. (laughs) I don't know why I dropped. I mean, I knew you were doing podcasts and I've listened to maybe one, but somehow I just, I just dropped off of a lot of stuff over the past few years. So, but yeah, I'm very grateful for this. And uh, there's something I never really, I never got to tell you this, but I was so grateful in your book that I love. Also, I, I learned, I I always had my little pocket dictionary right beside me when I was reading that because she used very big words. Oh, and where I'm, (laughs) where I'm from, we don't use those words. So I learned my favorite word, which I I was saying it wrong, but it sounded better to me, but the um, assuage is that uh-huh. how you say it? Assuage? Yeah. Uh-huh. I was saying assuage because it just sounded uh-huh. like exotic or something. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, that was my, that's always been my favorite word ever since then. But um, I so appreciated that you, when you talked about the relationships and the, I think that it was like the yin and yang, going, you know, energy and that sort of thing, that you included same sex relationships because a lot of writers back then didn't, and even probably to now, didn't do that. So it was the only book I ever read about that kind of stuff that I felt included. Beautiful. It was huge. Yeah. Well, beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah. And I just never, I never really got to tell you that, so. Well, thank you. Thank you for telling me that, yeah. My brother, to whom I just alluded the one who died in, at the age of 38, uh, he was gay. But we knew that from the time he was, I, I was t- almost 12 years older than he. We, we knew that from the time he was a little taught, you know, uh-huh. clear. And um, my cousin also. And uh, of course, I grew up with that understanding. That was not something I had to learn culturally. I just yeah. knew. Um, my uncle was also. And, you know, it was just sort of, uh, a, a recognition so it never was a question at all uh, and yeah <laughs> so you were well versed in it and it yeah. it means a lot it just really means a lot to people I mean even uh, even some of the groups I get into you know that that are about relationships or whatever it's it's always just you know the hetero heterosexual relationships and you know I mean we, we have to go through that all of our lives with on tv and I'm not trying to be a victim here but it's just the truth you well, know I do I do see um and I'm sure you know even better that there's been a massive change mm-hmm. culturally massive even just in my lifetime but I was quite aware of that kind of prejudice for much of that my lifetime and especially in watching what my brother dealt with and even within our own family the the prejudice that he endured and the othering that he endured. So that was always a heartbreak for me. But I, I see it much changed, uh, really, almost unrecognizably changed in a relatively historically short time. And thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome. So nice to see you after all this time. <laughs> And meeting you, you first time in Hawaii so, so long ago. Yeah. I know. It's just, yeah. I'm just so grateful to the University of Hawaii for that. <laughs> I don't know how you started, ended up going out there, but I, hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, I, I had been going to Hawaii since, since I was 19 years old, but then uh, an organizer in Hawaii set up uh, some events for me at the university. So that was very cool at the, at the auditorium there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I, I remember you used to drink your little green tea and yes. you said you only steeped it for like 30 seconds or something like that. Yeah, I, I used that as an example of the kind of steeping that we can experience in awareness. So I used to talk about the fact that I would just steep my tea a very short time before I went to Dharma Dialogues and I would take it in the thermos. The tea bag would be out. And sometimes I would forget to wash the thermos out the, the night of having used it and not washed it out until the next day. And by the next day, the tea, which was only steeping in itself, there was no bag in it anymore, had become so dark, right? Even this light green tea had turned really dark. It, had, it was only steeping in its own, its own self. And I often make this point that in this kind of awareness, in this brightness of awareness, it creates a kind of steeping without you having to think about it without you having to try. It's like you're just getting used to, your system is just getting used to a certain way that it's using the awareness, letting the awareness be very open and free-flowing. And in such a way, there's a sensitivity to what feels good and what feels right in your heart. And there's also an, an intense sensitivity to when something starts to feel off, like starts to agitate, starts to feel separating. And you get better and better because of this steeping at being attracted to that which feels beautiful, which feels opening, which feels loving, which feels grateful. And you start feeling pretty much repelled by the dark side, which we all have in us too. But, you know, again, I'll mention Mick, who's on the call, who told me so many years ago that his... um, his sensei in Aikido used to say, don't go where there's trouble. In Aikido training, if you ever are forced to have to engage in some kind of, uh, you know, altercation, you're not hurting anyone. You're basically using their energy to get them down on the ground. You're using their, their energy, but better even than that, is don't go where there's trouble, <laughs> right? Now, that doesn't mean we let people get away with things and harm other people. But sometimes, and especially with social media, people are just engaging where there's trouble and it's not doing anything except making everyone angry and intensifying a certain kind of darkness. So it's, those are the kinds of things that this steeping is about, that it hones your your own radar. It hones your own antenna. Not that you're not that you're trying. It just does, and you start being really easily attracted to a more uh, bright path. And I rely on that a lot. People often ask me, "What do I do in this situation or that situation?" I don't rely on necessarily a laid out plan. I rely a lot 
on my inner guidance system as I go. And sometimes it makes a U-turn, you know, or it makes a turn that I, was, I really didn't see coming. <laughs> but, but I bow to it when, my, when the inner quiet is saying, no, don't take that step. I might try to take it and I can feel, I can feel the nervousness is arising, the hesitation, the rumination. That's a big clue too. Like, you know, a lot of head chatter. And then sometimes you take a really surprising step in a certain circumstance and everything goes quiet inside. You go, ah, there it is. Yeah. That was beautiful. Very I, I just I just adore you. <laughs> it's on my financial bucket list to to get to a residential retreat with you someday. And um I know if if the non-residential retreat was so amazing to me, even though at that time I literally was came to you and was talking to you and was crying because the person I was there with, um, I shouldn't have been with in the first place, but um, we had kind of broken up that night, like, because we were talking about all this stuff from the, and we broke up and I was crying to you the next day and, uh, and she didn't come. And that's the person who passed away that I was telling you about that. I didn't know. I didn't know what happened, but yeah. So anyway, uh, with all that going on, it was like, the, one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. And yeah. doing the walk, you know, the walk through the woods was just, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Well, the retreats are, are I rely on the retreats very much myself in my own life after all these many years. Uh, they are an incredible refresh <laughs> of the system. <laughs> it's a real reboot and, uh, and a powerful one. And it serves in this kind of steeping way as a reminder, even when you're back in your busy life, it's, you know, you're, you're a bit haunted by the moments that you really saw the picture and you really felt the glory of this existence so yeah it's why people they keep doing retreats lots and lots of people i know for many many years now 50 years have been rolling around in the retreat scene once you understand what a retreat does in your life it, it becomes a, a part of your health program especially for your mental health so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i really hope you'll you'll be able to come to one and Depending on the circumstances and depending on the space, um, you know, we can speak about a, a scholarship. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Much love to you. Oh, thank you. Hi. Hi, everyone. I hope my, <laughs> my Scottish accent is going to be okay. We'll try, um, to, we'll try to interpret. I'll, I'll try to okay. translate if anyone has trouble. <laughs> you're, so, you're so kind. <laughs> well, yeah, I would certainly echo... The, the notion and the thoughts of uh, blessings and abundance and gratitude for those. But what I seek as your, as your guidance, Catherine, on uh, basically why it arises is uh, within the last year or two, another teacher had mentioned to me that I should go more inward rather than outward. Now, the blessings that I've got so much gratitude for is contacts through my local music scene I'm involved with and sort of like 
hill walking, mountaineering stuff, you know, and the trekking and mount, mountain walking and walking. things like that. Mm-hmm. So got some really good friends. I don't have much family other than my, my beautiful daughter and my, my girlfriend, but say I've got tons of really good friends. And the gratitude that I hold for, for these amazing people could really be seen as a distraction away from the inward focus that another teacher had guided me to take part in, you know? And I guess the, the question is that, is, is there at any stage a, a person's sadhana, is there any benefit that did guide Catherine from, you know, a, a true sort of like a vipassana type retreat to, to really focus inwards the, the, rather than engage with so many distractions outwardly? I'm, 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 I'm such a rebel at heart in this regard. <laughs> so I would say to you that if you're loving your life and yeah. you're engaged with the people you love and you're engaged with music and you feel pretty chill and pretty peaceful inside mm-hmm. and you feel pretty happy, yeah, then it ain't broke. You don't need to fix it. Oh, good. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are pushing this Sisyphus rock up the hill with all the practices and all the yeah. stories and all the yeah. teachings, and you just get tired here even thinking about it. And and um, yeah. Oh, you know why? What I said yeah. about the retreat, by the way. What's cool about those retreats is. You're not going there to do like a boot camp, like frankly, a lot of the Pasana retreats are like boot camp. Mm-hmm. No, we create mm-hmm. a heaven world so that you are actually enhancing a lot of joy and mm-hmm. delight and, and yeah. you know, and that they're often in very, very beautiful places so that you're immersed mm-hmm. in nature, always with fabulous food, yeah. so that all of your senses are being just assuaged actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah um all of your senses are being yeah. heightened and and fed mm-hmm. so that when you go back to your life where you're already it sounds like in your case enjoying things you actually have just mm-hmm. you just have this extra enhancement and that's just for, that's an incredible privilege in life just you yeah. know you have yeah. kind of calmer mind and you're able to even more savor all these wonderful things this fixation on mindfulness practice too by the way i find very uh mental you know and it's this mm-hmm. constant notation you're just noting 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 very tiring way to use the attention yeah. Um, so it's okay for an initial practice if you're just if you've got a mind that's just running crazy all the time, and it's a it's a way to focus the mind. Mm-hmm. It gives a focus. You mm-hmm. give it notation tasks, and it mm-hmm. focuses. But after a point, you don't need them. You just don't. Yeah. Need them. Mm-hmm. And you you're just in a more immersive kind of awareness. And so mm-hmm. enjoy, enjoy your wonderful life. Enjoy your girlfriend and your daughter and the music and, and your, your place in Aberdeen and, and your town and all mm-hmm. the connections you must have for all these years. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. You know, that's it. I mean, here it is again. I'll just read part of it. Not just to endure it, not just to suffer it, not just to pass through it, but to live in it. Mm-hmm. 
to look at it, to try to get the picture, to live recklessly. And I think here where she says recklessly, she means with abandon, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to take chances, to make your own work and take pride in it. I'd say to make your own music and take pride in it, to seize the moment, yeah. to ask me why you should bother to do that. I could tell you that the grave's a fine and private place. Now, in a way, what people are suggesting in this kind of uh, monastic removal mm -hmm. from life yeah. is like yeah. a grave, you know? Mm -hmm. She says, but none, I think, do there embrace, nor do they sing there or write or argue or see the tidal war on the Amazon or touch their children. And that's what there is to do. That's what there is to do here and get it while you can and good luck at it. You know, that this is yeah. this is the stuff of life. This yeah. is where this is where the Dharma is applicable. Mm -hmm. It's an engagement and it's yeah, it loving the ones you have here mm -hmm. and that you're cruising through life with. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's that, that's so reassuring, Catherine. It's especially when there is an element of teaching that one picks up where the, the notion, and uh, I won't drop names, but I'm sure you know, but you know, people say there's nothing you can do, you know? So again, if someone takes a monastic or non-type life and sort of shuts himself off, you're, you're disengaging and it's, there's no point in it, you know? And- um, Well, I mean, I guess we should allow for the fact that for some people, yeah. That that is their sweet spot. They need to withdraw from the world. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reasons. I think some people do it because they've mm -hmm. been sold a bill of goods and told if you do this, mm -hmm. you're gonna feel better. I but I think a lot of people who live more monastically, even not necessarily in monasteries, but who are we call them loners, right? Who just mm -hmm. want to be alone. Mm -hmm. It's they're taking care of themselves for however they need to, you know, they're yeah. Yeah. They're maybe highly sensitive or maybe there's some kind of trauma or some kind of ancient, almost genetic trauma that they are managing as best they can. Mm -hmm. But in terms of spiritual stories and making one the kind of superior way of life and the other not, you know, when I wrote my book, Passionate Presence, which I wrote, mm -hmm. I wrote the actual book in uh, 2001. Mm -hmm. I was careful to put the word passionate in front of the word presence. I, I, people often referred to the book as presence and I kept saying, no, actually the title is passionate presence. <laughs> as I've always been more interested in a passionate engagement here. So I've always been much more inclined, even though I was in a very monastic type of practice, because that's all we had around at the time, and, and mm -hmm. I, I, I got into it, but I, it didn't quite fit for me. I was always riling against it. Yeah, so for, for me, and why I was attracted to people, when I, was, when I was a journalist, I was attracted to people who understood Dharma, but who were fully engaged in life mm -hmm. in a big way. For me, that's my nature, and I think it's your nature, and for many of us on this call, that that is much more our temperaments. I don't say it's the way for everybody. I do know plenty of people who don't really want to be too engaged with this world, can't handle it, don't like it, and don't really want to have a lot of people around, don't find people easy to be with. So we have to let them be as well as they are. Yeah. 
Thank you. Oh my goodness, so many wonderful thoughts tonight. But what you've just said has taken over, has resonated the most with me um, because I also feel the passion is everything. And I really do. And I loved, I wrote down the um, tasting, the feeding your senses. Yeah. And I've <laughs> been noting that a lot on my wandering. It's all about the senses and it's all about the smells and the breeze and the sun. And of course, we can throw in the culinary, but really it is that passion. And so I loved that. And I, I think for some of us, like you said, more than others, it's, um, it's an absolute necessity. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Some people are, are much more fed by their senses and I'm aware that some people aren't. And I know it sounds pejorative to say that someone is not particularly sensual right? It, it has a pejorative feeling, but if you really just look at it in a, a kind of straight across, simple, direct way, it's just some people, they're not that into food or like they don't care about food or they don't care about a beautiful smell or they don't, you know, yet they may have some other kinds of mm. delights and passions of their own that are just different. But yes, for, for you and for for me and many of us, aliveness through the senses is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I feel happens with a more quiet, simple awareness is you just have access to all of those kinds of senses much more clearly. And even if a particular one of your senses is not your, your thrill, even if it's just that you delight in certain types of ideas mm -hmm. even then your quietness allows those ideas to sparkle in a different way because otherwise what happens for so many people is their minds are a jumble it's like a tangled mess and they don't really have access to almost anything particularly except the jumble you know it's just there's just noise and clanking gongs and you know just and so even if a beautiful idea comes through it's lost in it's it's drowned out by the mental noise and even if a beautiful sunset is right in front of their eyes they don't see it right their brain and their minds are taken up and so again in this steeping in this gentle steeping in quiet awareness and moments of gratitude the moments of clear seeing that you're that you might have like i said sprinkle them through the day where you realize wow this is a short run this is a very impermanent circumstance i don't need to sweat the small stuff in this moment i just can see that which i love <laughs> thank you <laughs> Hello. Hi. I'm wondering where. That's a very, where very cool room you're in. Uh, yeah, this is uh, my office, the Octagon. Yeah, oh, nice. And the rest of the house out that way. Wow. And how are you feeling? How's, how's, how's your health now? Uh, well, it's interesting. The last uh, just couple of days, 
Uh, I've had a real increase in the amount of paralysis. It's not that I'm paralyzed, but I have a tremendous amount of numbness in my legs and my arms. Yeah. And uh, it, the last couple of days has just increased exponentially. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm pretty much numb from my shoulders down through my fingertips and my uh, mid thighs down through my toes. And I can stand and I can walk and it's not painful as much as it is this really intense feeling of numbness, which is an odd combination of words to describe it. And is this, is this something, I mean, I know about, you know, two years ago, your, your long hospitalization, but is this, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's resulting. It's a result of the. Well, just to tell everybody the short notes, I, I had uh, sepsis, uh, staph sepsis that almost killed me. I spent 229 days in the hospital and got out 14 months ago and, you know, have been able to recover walking and climbing stairs and. I can't run or skip or any, do anything like that. But yeah, they operated on my uh, spinal cord to get all the abscesses of infection off of my spinal cord. And in the process, they had to put uh, four rods of titanium in my back to sort of stabilize everything. And I think there's some sort of compression going on in my nerves that... Mm. Uh, basically is causing the numbness but um, yesterday you know on the topic of gratitude I was I was just so frustrated and it was so intense something that I hadn't really felt before and I was just like this is so horrible and I was standing there making myself a sandwich. Mm-hmm. I looked down at the sandwich and I thought, yeah, but I've got food. Yeah. Think of all the people that don't have food. Yeah. You know, all the people in Afghanistan, there are you know, millions of people that are potentially going to starve, you know? Yeah. And that sort of flashed me on, oh, well, yeah, I live in beautiful nature place and I'm isolated from the world and pretty much um, at peace with not having a lot of social contact. Yeah. So I, I just would say, you know, that you can like that, just switch into a sense of gratitude and it changes the nature of your struggle or whatever it is that's bothering you about your existence you know the the immediacy of the experience you're having it changes it right there yeah doesn't mean that you don't feel the numbness but the story around it changes because now you're looking at the sandwich and you're right you're you're eating the sandwich Um, things could be so much worse yes no you know i could have people pounding on the door with guns and you know any number you know get a notice of eviction or whatever yeah and and you mentioned afghanistan i mean what's going on there is just you know what we would consider hell on earth 
I hope for those people, they have some cohesion of society left of, of help with each other, but there's so many ways to see this in terms of what's missing, but also what's left. And it's not to deny what's missing, what you know you would have preferred. Well, the good thing is, is that there's a potential, and I'm not, I don't know the answer to this yet, uh, but there is a potential they may be able to take the, the rods out of my back. Yes. And aren't I lucky to have a doctor who's even willing to consider that? And the technology that exists to maybe make it possible. Absolutely. I don't know what sort of risks I'll take if if I decide to undergo something like that. But um, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I can make a testament to... The value of retreats, mm. because the you, first... are a, you are a living testament to me, actually, for the value of, of retreats, of wisdom, of dharma, and of what looks like courage. But I know from the inside, and I know you would say it probably this way, is that what other choice was there? You were just being throughout. I yeah. talked to you a number of times in the hospital and I was so I came away so incredibly inspired that having a circumstance that most of us would dread deeply dread yeah. and wonder if we could psychologically survive it and to be talking with you who I felt you were so clear and so calm through it and I'm sure you had your moments but I was really, really inspired. And so you are a living testament to the Dharma. Well, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to say that uh, the first retreat I went on with you at Zaka Lake Mm. was, it was like opening a broad door into a world that people had tried to describe with words. But it was conceptual, and words don't really sort of capture the presence that you can feel in a in a retreat through silence. Yeah. It's just, right. and that was the one great moment I had an hour and a half ago. I went outside, and the sun was going down. It was beautiful, and it was just silent. <laughs> completely silent. Wow. So, wow. Yes. More yeah. of those. They're all around. Oh, yeah. Every yeah. day. Treat yeah. yourself as much as possible. Yeah. Thank you. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events, such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or a recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time. <laughs>